Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On today's episode of the podcast, I have a lively and engaging conversation with Jeannie Reith. Jeannie is an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Nevada. She's leading the International Women's Entrepreneurial Symposium and was a senior director at eBay, worked at Bain Capital. We cover a wide range of subjects, including the challenges facing female entrepreneurs raising capital, building networks. We'll dive into Jeannie's own background, including the challenges and opportunities of being a senior executive while being a young mother, the importance of liberal arts education, creating well-rounded humans, and many other subjects. So on with the podcast. Welcome to the Growth Pioneers podcast, Jeannie. It's good to have you. Thank you so much for having me here. You know, I've been really looking forward to chatting with you about the International Women's Symposium and just learning a little bit more about your background and how you ended up at the university. So why don't you tell me just a little bit about uh, your background? Sure. So I'm originally from the East Coast, grew up in Connecticut, and then um, went to college at Harvard and moved from there to Chicago. So I had decided I wanted to work for a management consulting firm, but let them choose which office they wanted me to work for. And they had just opened a Chicago office and needed to staff it up. So that was great for me. I worked for Bain & Company, and I felt like it was a mini MBA while I was there. You know, learned a great skill set in how to think strategically, how to think analytically, you know, present and communicate in PowerPoint. And then in the the late 90s, I moved to San Francisco and started working for technology startups. So very small companies, you know, 20 employees, then five employees. And I spent the longest time at eBay. So in a wide variety of roles, started out in category management, managing the antiques and collectibles and home and garden categories. Sounds fun. Yeah. And then uh, moved to the marketing side of the business and um, international marketing, actually. I ended up running their international marketing team. So we had about 30 different country offices around the globe and then uh, moved back into consumer marketing in North America and also uh, built the company's social media business unit, setting up partnerships with Facebook and Twitter and companies like that as social media became a thing. Wow. Early days. What what year was that when you were doing that? Oh, you know, gosh, uh, 2008 or 2010, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I I spent almost 15 years at eBay, but uh, moved to Tahoe and semi-retired with my husband. He's an entrepreneur as well and uh, enjoyed some time off for a little while. I have two teenage kids, so they are currently 15 and 17 and got to spend a little more time with them. But I got a little bit bored and knocked on the door at the University of Nevada, Reno and said, what can I do? So I ended up doing a, a brand strategy project for Greg Mosier at the College of Business and uh, started teaching entrepreneurship there and then uh, began working on their uh, their women's entrepreneurship initiative. That's great. I think this is one of the things that makes me most excited about doing entrepreneurial development is the great people that come from outside our community and then come kind of roll up their sleeves and say, how can I help? And I, you know, that's one of the things that uh, just a great joy for watching Reno grow is people like yourself. I mean, you're retired, you can go do what you want, but then you 
you know, find an affinity for the community and then go get involved. Well, I think it's a really exciting time in Reno. I think it's a, a city that, you know, even in the, the five or so years that I've been in the area, it's transforming rapidly. There is a growing startup community here, and there's a lot of energy around it, a lot of people focused on innovation. Uh, and I think it's a really exciting time to be in Reno. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think that the university is it's such an, a gem in the community, but there's such an opportunity there to do more work to support entrepreneurs. And I, and I think that having people with your background and more entrepreneurs in the community will really, uh, will really help support you and our transform into what I think it really could be. Yeah, and they've got some great assets in place. You know, the Innovation Center, the Osmond Center for Entrepreneurship. There are some fantastic entrepreneurship instructors there. And I think there are some assets that can really be built upon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, we had a, an opportunity to talk to President Sandoval last week, and I was just so encouraged by his commitment to uh, making entrepreneurship part of the DNA of the university. I know that's a long process, you know, as a big bureaucracy, but I, you know, I know he's committed to it. And I'm, you know, if we have, if we see anything like we've seen at ASU and their transformation around innovation, um, I think it's going to be a very powerful force for for the community. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, I mean, as you look at what's happening in our society broadly and careers and the evolution of all of that, building an entrepreneurial skill set helps you no matter what career you go into. The ability to think innovatively, the ability to take initiative and come up with things on your own, to to work through the hurdles and things that are put in front of you, those skills are, are tremendously powerful, whether you're in a small company of someone else's, a big company, or, or starting your own venture. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Now, are you teaching at the university? I do, yeah. So I just teach one class. It's called ENT 200. And it's an introductory level entrepreneurship class. And the students go through a, a process where they form groups, come up with business ideas. They do customer interviewing. They write out customer interview discussion guides. They build prototypes. And then at the end of the class, we have a shark tank simulation Excellent. where they are pitching. And we bring in real entrepreneurs from the Reno community to serve as the judges for that competition. And it's really, really impressive what students who have had no exposure to entrepreneurship can put together in a very short amount of time. Oh, for sure. I had an opportunity one time to meet uh, one of the co-hosts of, of Shark Tank. Her name is, it's escaping me right now, but we were at a TED conference. And, uh, oh, Barbara Cochran. Yes. And, uh, boy, she is she is a personality, let me tell oh, you. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed <laughs> We had a, a dinner with her, and she would just lit up the room. It was it was a fun uh, fun dinner. <laughs> I, I bet that was. We are a little more kind to the students than the, the sharks yeah. on the on the shark tank are. But, you know, some of their ideas are really quite impressive. And, and we've had students who've gone on to compete in the Sontag competition, UNR's $50,000 uh, business plan entrepreneurship competition. So it's it's exciting to see that come from nothing to, you know, the, the kernel of a start of a business. Yeah, no, I, I love that, that initial st stage where it's kind of anything as possible. And I'm glad that you, you know, Shark Tank, I have mixed feelings about Shark Tank, honestly. I, I've never watched it. I, I feel like on one hand, it, it shows what's possible and it gives inspiration for entrepreneurship. But then, you know, it's obviously made for TV. 
people's expectations around what deals look like, uh, how to get funded, all of those things are, are kind of uh, – not it doesn't match reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to watch the students when they go out and interview people in the real world, and perhaps they've watched Shark Tank before and have all of these preconceived notions in their mind, and they have some aha moments along the way where they say, "Oh, oh, this is what it's all about." Yeah, yeah. No, it, like I said, probably on net, it's good. I just can't watch it. I have such empathy pain for entrepreneurs. You know, I've been yeah. on the side of raising capital, and I've been on the other side, and it just, um, you know, I just it's a little too stressful for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you've had a lot of entrepreneurial experience yourself, I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, um, again, I, anything we can do to help make uh, create more entrepreneurs in the community or in the world, I think is great. I, unfortunately, the trends, it seems like, you know, the rate of entrepreneurship is down and there's a lot of things uh, contributing to that. But uh, so, you know, anything that I that we can do to help support more of those, um, you know, more entrepreneurs, I'm all on board with. And I appreciate, you know, being on the front lines with students, you know, to 200 level class, you probably have a lot of people that are kind of entrepreneurial curious. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they do. They, they learn. Is this something that's for me or it's not? Yeah, which is great. I mean, that's uh, no is the second best answer as far as I'm concerned. You, know, mm-hmm. you can focus your time on things that are uh, more important. So how did you get involved with the uh, International Women's Entrepreneurial Symposium? So it's a new event. This is only the third year of the event, and it grows out of a recognition that there's a lot of inequality in this space. So I mentioned the Sontag competition that that UNR hosts, and there was a point where uh, we recognized there weren't enough women entrepreneurs making it to the finals of that competition and wondered why. When you look at the gender ratio in the entrepreneurship classes, at UNR. Women are underrepresented, and we wondered why. And when you look at it more broadly, it is uh, one of the more unequal spaces remaining in in our society. So fewer than 20% of startups are started by women, and the picture gets worse when you look at the funding. So less than 3% of venture capital dollars go to women-founded companies. That's shockingly low. It is shockingly low. And even more surprising to me is that that statistic hasn't really changed very much over the last 30 years. Now, just in the last year or so, there's starting to be a little bit of movement in the number, but it's not much, and it's nowhere near what it should be. So to me, it says there are systemic challenges yeah. here. There, there are structural problems, and we need to do something about this because the, the data also suggests that women are not worse entrepreneurs than men. You know, in, in fact, there are some anecdotes in, in different places saying that portfolio companies for VCs that are, that are women-founded outperform the male-founded ones. I'm not going to say that universally, sure. but— but, you know, it, it it does not appear to be a picture that the women are not talented enough yeah. to do this. They're just, I think they're lacking the networks and the relationships and the access that, that have historically been, you know, part of different circles and a, a different world for them. And so that's what we're trying to do with this Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative is to help educate, support, bring women in contact with resources that can help them, help them build networks and relationships relationships so they can get that access to funding, to advisors who have the skill sets that they need. And uh, the the biggest thing that we're doing as a part of that initiative is this flagship event called the International Women's Entrepreneurship Symposium. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think it's such such valuable work. I, I, I think, you know, you knew I have talked about this a little bit, but my mom was the 
head of the Women's Bureau or the Department of Labor Women's Bureau for the for the West Coast region. And as a child, I used to walk around with a 52 cent button. So I, you know, I grew up uh, with gender equity before I even knew what it was. Right. And I wasn't really connected to that. But as I've gotten more involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you really see that that disparity. And, you know, especially on the venture funding side, it's it, that three percent number is really depressing to me, and and I, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons why that's true. You know, one of the things I have noticed though in the in the real venture world is a very small number of schools that drive venture. So it's everybody is kind of very clicky. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're it's all, you know, it comes from a couple of schools. It comes from you know Harvard, from Stanford, from Yale. You don't get much outside of that area, and so it just seems like it's somewhat it's very insular. Yes. Uh, and that's probably additionally complicated for women to break into that insular network. Yeah, I think I think that's part of the key. And so if we can help women to build their own networks, the ones who have been successful reaching down, bringing along the newer entrepreneurs, and you know, as part of this effort, we really need the support of men in the space as well. So that's a huge focus for us, bringing in men as speakers. I thank you for serving as one of the moderators on, on one of so. our yeah. panels. But, you know, I think more than 10% of our speakers are men, and we believe men have a strong role to play in helping to change the game for women in this space. I totally agree with you. I think this is a rising tide issue, and this is really, you know, how can we help everybody be successful? I mean, one of my personal core values is entrepreneur first, and that's just to do the right thing for the entrepreneur no matter what. It doesn't matter who they are, what, you know, gender, race, whatever. We need to do the right thing for them. And so when when this became more clear, this is a real issue. We've, you know, we've recognized that there's something that needs to be done, but have been unclear about what to do. And so we really need leaders like yourself who are close to the problem, understand it, and can rally a group of supporters to, to bring that forward. And I, I think that's amazing that this is coming out of UNR. Now, is are there other entrepreneurial symposiums for women like this, or is this kind of a one-of-a-kind? Or There are definitely a few other universities that are focused on this issue. Babson is yep. one. You mentioned the really strong programs coming out of Arizona. Harvard has really strong entrepreneurship programs as well. There was one in the UK for a few years. I don't know if it's still happening now. And of course, you know, COVID has has put a, a damper on a number of efforts. But there, there are pockets. I would say a lot of this activity is more more recent. So, you know, as I said, we are in our third year of this event, and that's not unusual for some of these other initiatives, too. Also, in the last couple of years, there have been some funds that have started that have focused on investing in women-founded companies, yeah. incubators that are focused on, on women. And I think there is a heightened awareness level just with the focus on diversity in our society as a whole that, that this is something we need to work on. So it's not the only one. But what I will say is I feel like there was really pent-up demand for it. Sure. So when I reach out to women CEOs to request that they be speakers at this event, our keynotes and panelists and you know, we get an overwhelmingly positive response. So there are so many women who have been successful, who want to pay it forward, who want to help others. And I think, you know, the the way this event has just snowballed and grown so quickly, we're hitting a nerve that really needed to be tapped. Now, this isn't the first year of this conference. Tell me a little bit about the origin of the International Women's Symposium. 
Yeah. So Kelly Northridge, who now runs the Audacity Fund in Reno, is the person who really did the work to start the first one. And it grew out of a recognition that it is not a particularly equal space. So, for example, within the university, we saw that there were fewer women than men participating in the entrepreneurship classes. We also saw that in the Sontag competition, UNR's $50,000 entrepreneurship competition each year, there were fewer women who were competing and making it to the finalist stages. So as we looked more broadly, we recognized that this is not just an issue that was local, but something that is national and international as well. So fewer than 20% of startups are started by women. And when you look at the funding picture, that those numbers get even worse. So less than 3% of venture capital dollars flow to female-founded startups. So that's something that we think is an issue that needs to be addressed. And we've created this initiative and this flagship event to try and address that. Yeah, that's great. I, I really appreciate Kelly's work, you know, what they're doing with Audacity Fund. Now, you know, they they took over an allocation of the CARES Act funding and brought that out. To, I think about a million dollars came into the to the ecosystem. So you know, she's really a trailblazer. And I'm glad that you were able to take their initial work and turn it into year two and now really scale it at year three. It's, I'm glad to see that this has, you know, long-term legs inside the university. Right. Yeah. And I agree. Kelly's doing great work in the community. Women and minority-owned businesses are really receiving a lot of support there. And we're excited at the ways that this symposium has been able to grow over time. So we're getting wider recognition, a broader audience to participate, and hopefully impacting more women-owned businesses all around the world now. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the speakers. You 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 mentioned you have some really high-profile folks. I I know uh, Angela Lee from 27 Angels, is that? 37 Angels. 37 Angels, Scott. There we go. I'm discounting the angel groups again. There we go. Sorry. So she's phenomenal. She's also a professor at Columbia Business School and chief innovation officer at Columbia Business School. She's been an expert commentator on Bloomberg TV and MSNBC. She's uh, spoken at the White House and at NASA, and her career has really taken off in in recent years. She's speaking about fundraising and how to do that effectively, how to pitch venture capitalists, what to include, how to even do the analysis with in your own company so that you are framing things correctly and building out the right capabilities that are going to make a venture capitalist want to invest in you. So that will be a very valuable presentation. Uh, we also, another one of our keynotes is Charlene Lee. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Oh, She's written critically acclaimed books, I think five or six. One is called Groundswell. Her most recent book is called The Disruption Mindset, and it's all about disruptive innovation. So her opening keynote for us will be about how do you take times of turmoil like we're in right now and use them to your advantage? How do you be a disruptive innovator and drive change instead of being a victim of change? So very, very timely talk. Fantastic. And then one that I'm the most excited about is Nancy Duarte. Mm. So she is Her nickname is the Storyteller of the Valley. She runs the largest communications firm in Silicon Valley, and she's all about storytelling. So she works with 25 of the top 50 brands in the world. I truly think she is number one in the world at at what she does. She worked with Al Gore, if you remember his climate change movie, An Inconvenient Truth. She worked with him on how to take all of that data and wrap it into the story that ultimately became that movie. 
So she has recently turned her attention to entrepreneurs and what are the key stories that all entrepreneurs need to tell and how do they do that effectively? What's the science behind it? And she comes up with frameworks and will articulate that. So she's in the process of publishing another book around that content and our audience will get that content before the book comes out. Oh, wow. That's an, what an amazing opportunity. I- it's so critical for entrepreneurs to be able to tell their story effectively, you know, just to attract investors, to get buy-in from, you know, potential employees. To, you know, it's such a critical skill. And, you know, I so often you see these teams that are technology founders that that's just not a core skill set of right. theirs. And so anything you can do to um, help people be able to really tell an effective story, I think it's, it's such a great core skill. And then, you know, with Angela, uh, again, you know, the opposite of – the shark tank, actually getting down to what it really takes to go raise money. I mean, you know, everybody thinks about getting in an elevator and, you know, magically getting half a million dollars. But the reality of it is, is it's a much more methodical process. You have to go kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince in, in right. the world. Right. And I think one of the powerful things that happens at this conference is you hear from a lot of different founders what their story was, the hurdles, the struggles that they faced and how they overcame those, the resources that they've tapped into. There will be a lot of talk about how people have pivoted in the the last year with the pandemic and, and had to adjust what they're doing. So we have a total of over 30 speakers, and they come from all over the world. So a handful of cities across the U.S., a dozen countries, four continents. We have speakers from Africa, from Latin America, from Europe. And one of the areas that I think will be most interesting are these industry-focused breakout sessions that we have. So there are eight concurrent sessions on topics like food and beverage, travel and tourism, healthcare, social entrepreneurship, fields where you pull together a panel of a moderator and three or four panelists, and you get to really intimately hear their story of of their journey. Yeah, that's great. Now, when you were at eBay, just kind of jumping back, did you see some of this challenge uh, being a female executive? I mean, was this something that you had to deal with personally? Absolutely. I mean, there are many, many times in my career where I've found myself, you know, at a at a boardroom table and was the only woman in the room. I feel like I've been in, you know, meetings with a hundred people with maybe two women in the room. And I think I just got used to it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I have great relationships with men and sure. women. And, and you know, I've been very fortunate in my career that I haven't so often felt discriminated against yeah. as a woman. And I've had many men who have helped me in my career. But it is different when you are, you know, one out of 100 or, you know, f- five, five out of 50 in a room. It has a different dynamic. And I think different women deal with that in, in different ways. You know, I, I'm good at relating to men in, in you know, sports and, and some of the, you know, things that are typical, more manly yeah. conversations. And so I could always find my way to, sure. to have a conversation. But it's really different. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing your experience. I, it reminds me of a time we were doing some business in Japan and we were working with all the different trading companies. And every meeting we went to, there was not a single woman there. Mm-hmm. And then we went to one meeting and they had, you know, 20 people and there was one woman. And, you know, I remember many of the Japanese men made it point to point out that she was qualified to be there. And it was such a it was a very stark reminder for that. And I, I realized very different cultural dynamics going on. But it, that was a very clear example for me of 
of wow, this is such a different, you know, women are definitely do not have the same access. Right. And and you are right to highlight that it is very inconsistent as you go across the globe, um, can be a very different situation. I think we're quite fortunate on the whole here in the U.S. relative to some of the other places in the world. Well, and, you know, one of the things about the International Women's Entrepreneurial Symposium is it's uh, internationally focused. So tell me a, a little bit about the international focus and, and why the, why the emphasis on that. Well, you know, we think it's a global problem, and uh, certainly there are opportunities all around the world. Uh, we started the, the first one of these symposiums w- was very local, and it's just a recognition that there's a need and that that if we tap into our broader international resources, we can reach more people, we can help change the game in more places. You know, I think part of what enables uh, me to do things internationally is my time at eBay. And, you know, having worked in in 30 different markets around the world, I built a lot of relationships. And so I do, I tap into many of those relationships from earlier in my career. A lot of the eBay alumni have gone on to start companies all over the world. They're, you know, working for Amazon or Facebook or Google in offices all over the world. And they've been a tremendous resource to me. But also UNR has 11 international partner universities. And so we've reached out to our partners in Zurich, Switzerland. We've reached out to Warsaw, Poland, Istanbul, Turkey, and they have all embraced this symposium with with open arms as well and are helping to feed us speakers from different markets and let their students know about it, let their faculty know about it, let local women entrepreneurs know about it. And then, you know, the, the Northern Nevada International Center has been a resource to us as well introducing us to programs like the YLI program. So this is Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative. It's a U.S. State Department program. And there are 260 entrepreneurs between the ages of 25 and 35 from Latin America who are part of this program. So they've all been invited to this symposium and and through things like that. There's another one, the YALI program, Young African Leaders, 600 alumni of that program. So we're able to bring in audience of, you know, sort of groups of entrepreneurs from around the world as well. Oh, so that's excellent. Yeah. it's going to be a really neat international event. And to be honest with you, COVID has helped us on that front. Yeah, so, I, I wondered. I mean, you know, it does seem like making an international symposium over Zoom is you know, a silver lining of COVID. Yeah. And I have to say, we've grown internationally faster than we otherwise would have. And with how tremendous the response has been to this, we will always have an online global component for this symposium, I, I believe, in, in addition to what we do on the ground here in Reno, just because it's uh, it's broadened our reach so much. It's allowed us to help more women entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it's a global problem. And I think that, you know, we can connect different populations. You just get so much you get so many more innovative ideas when you bring different perspectives uh, we we had the benefit of working with the the uh, Mandela fellows when they came through uh, you know shout out to Karina Black and the the International Center for that it, it's just a you know, it puts things in perspective you know when, when I was talking with that group uh, a lot of questions about you know fundraising and you take it for granted that we have things like a stable government like yes. a rule of law you know that Internet access. Yeah, internet access. <laughs> you know, all of those things. You know, the biggest, how do I raise twenty five thousand dollars? Doesn't sound. I mean, it's daunting for any first time entrepreneur, but it's it, 
particularly daunting if you're from Nairobi. Right. And so it just, it really, you know, it, it was, it was a powerful experience and just a, a lot of appreciation for what we, what we have in America. And then a lot of like, you know, there's big challenges facing some of these emerging markets bigger than, than, than we're dealing with here locally. Right, right. And I would say for me, going all the way back to my time at Harvard, that was the most diverse environment I've ever been in in my life. So, you know, geographically, culturally, just people from all different walks of life. And it's given me such an appreciation for what you just described, the the richness that comes when you have diversity of thought from all of those different places and what happens when you put that together with a, with a common focus and a common energy behind it. Yeah, which is great. And I think that's one of the things that we're starting to see in Reno. You know, Reno isn't probably typically known as, you know, the most diverse city, but it's changing with all of the growth, a lot of the new jobs, a lot of the new people coming in, the university. We're seeing more diversity in the community. And that's that's great. I think we're seeing a lot of positives uh, as a result of that. We have a long way to go. I know in our own programs, we're just starting to think through how do we support DEI initiatives and how do we bring more people to the table that we you know just that we haven't been able to really connect with in the past. So I think that we're we're taking the initial steps, but fortunately we have trailblazers like yourself doing that and other areas to kind of help us connect and show us how how to do it. Well, I think there's so much power that comes from it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a journey for sure. But I I have seen some very positive things in my time here. Yeah. So what would you? What's your highest aspiration for the for the the conference? I mean, what what do you really hope will come out of the conference? Oh well, you know, I uh, so truly when you think about those statistics about the success of female entrepreneurs, that's the ultimate measure. You know, are there more women entrepreneurs out there with successful companies, generating more jobs, generating more revenue in our society, that's ultimately success. So how does the conference help? I'd love for it to ultimately be the the largest and most impactful women's entrepreneurship conference in the world and to have true impacts on the funding situation, the networks, the education, all of it that, that are the true enablers to let women entrepreneurs grow their businesses. I just love your passion, by the way. I, I just have to say, it's, I can. It's truly, you know, this truly comes from a, a deep place inside of you, and I, I just I appreciate that. This is what we need. I think there's a lot of young and uh, you know female entrepreneurs that are going to really benefit from the work that you're you're laying down with this. Well, you've got to live with passion. If you're going to do something, you got to do it all. Out. I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. That's one of the things I love about living with entrepreneurs. They. They are more fearless than any group I know. Maybe cavalier sometimes, that's fine. But uh, there's a fearlessness to them and and an idea or a desire to to change the world in their image. And that is all inspiring to me, for sure. Well, you you are very inspiring as well. And I love what you all are doing here at EDOM. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So who who should come to the conference? I mean, what— it is open to the public. It is for anyone who wants to come. Tickets are $49 for a classic ticket and $69 for a deluxe ticket. That allows you to sponsor two student attendees. We encourage uh, women entrepreneurs, but also men entrepreneurs. To be honest, the content of the conference is equally beneficial for male entrepreneurs as it is for women. It's also for anyone who's just looking to be inspired. If you've even ever thought about being an entrepreneur, 
entrepreneur, wanted to know more about how it's done. It, these are really inspiring speakers uh, that and and wonderful stories that that you can hear. We're also looking for investors and companies that have resources to support entrepreneurs to come and participate in the conference and share those resources with entrepreneurs, anyone who can help to build this ecosystem and this movement to empower entrepreneurs in our community. Yeah, that's great. And so it's pretty much open to anybody who's entrepreneurial curious that's looking to, to develop their skills, to get connected with other entrepreneurs all over the country. I mean, I'm really interested in the storytelling. This is an area that has always been of interest to me, and I could always use help in refining my ability to communicate. Right. I, I think it's an underappreciated area for the power that it has in impacting outcomes. Yeah, you can when you see, you know, demo days from places like Techstars, you really get a sense that they focus more on storytelling. And you can generally pick out one of the one of the pitches from one of those top tier accelerators. Just they just do a really good job. I one of my uh, favorite entrepreneurs, Allie Jennings, um, her early days at Pinocchio. I just have this image of her pitch, like pre-tech stars and post-tech stars. And they just did such a good job of using visuals to tell the story of how the current world is complex and how their product made it, made it very simple. So it's just, you know, it, it, it's powerful. The words and or, or the images can make a big difference. Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's often easy to see, yes, that's a good one. No, that wasn't so good. But how do you actually craft the good ones? That's, yeah. that's the secret sauce that I'm excited we will get a, a little bit of a glimpse into with Nancy Duarte. Yeah, no, that's great. How would people register for for the event. So you can go to our website. It's www.unr.edu slash IWES. That stands for International Women's Entrepreneurship Symposium. So unr.edu slash IWES. Great. And I'll include that in the show notes for everybody. So beyond uh, this International Women's Symposium, what's uh, what's on the horizon for you, Jeannie? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying life a lot right now. And uh, the combination of of teaching entrepreneurship and uh, running the symposium keeps me very busy. I'm also in the process of getting a master's in education from Michigan State University, entirely online, even pre-pandemic, and you know that that will hopefully round out my my qualifications in uh, academia a little more. I have interests in uh, you know all all sorts of things: filmmaking, writing books. Uh, you know that there are a million journeys I still have yet. To to take. It's just a matter of finding the bandwidth and, and which ones I focus on at, at what point in time. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate the many different journey opportunities. And with your with your background or with getting your education certi certification, are you planning on doing some more teaching at the university? Or? Yeah, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, and, uh, you know, e exactly where my focus goes, I'm sure. not sure. But certainly teaching has been really fun for me. And if I, I dial all the way back when I was little and thought, you know, either I wanted to be an astronaut or the president or perhaps a history professor. That that was kind of where my focus was when I entered college. And I majored in government, by the way. I did not major in, in business as an undergrad, and I never got an MBA. 
and and that hasn't held me back in my career. But you know, teaching ha- has always been an interest of mine, and so it's been fun for me to get back to it in the last couple of years and teach the students at UNR. Yeah, I really appreciate your broad thinking. And you know, one of the things I have two young boys; they're eight and ten at the moment, or eight and eleven, and. You know, I have a technical background. I have an engineering degree. But I was thinking more about, you know, the the role and the power of liberal arts. I know, you know, we're very focused on workforce development and getting people into the jobs of the future. But it does seem to me that there's a real power and a need for people with broad-based education, real human skills, as we're going to see more automation. What's your experience? You know, you've had a very successful career in technology with a degree in government. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting to me that that none of the real tangible content that I learned in college were, were things that I directly applied in my career. But if you go under the surface, they really were. So, you know, I took whole semester long classes on bureaucracy, and that's a good I, thing to know how to navigate. <laughs> but always. when you think about working in a Fortune 500 company, you know, eBay was thirty thousand employees by the the time that I left. How do you actually navigate and get things done in that environment? Well, I learned a lot from that. And I think there are tremendous lessons from history. So, you know, philosophy, history, um, all of that context that sits there in your mind from having, you know, read the classics and and some of these great authors. um, It's all context for how you approach situations and how you build relationships with people and how you think strategically about, you know, the, the big picture and things. And I remember when I was working at Bain company, my job right out of college and, you know, Microsoft Access databases and Excel spreadsheets. And my friends who were there who had majored in business as undergrads said, man, I wish I had, you know, done done more liberal arts because, you know, now I'm just doing this again. And they would have appreciated the richness of, of having that. Again, it comes back to diversity of thought, you know, even, even in your own mind. So I, for one, am a big fan. I think, Students today have to think about the practical realities of our world and yeah. what are the skills that that they need. I think everyone should be technology technology literate in in some way yeah. for today's world. But I think it's okay to diversify beyond that, and I think it builds a real strength when you know when you put it together with applicable skills. I totally agree with you. I, you know, I, we definitely need to improve. Uh, trade schools and giving people pathways to jobs. I totally agree with that. And I'm you know, a big proponent of code schools. I also think we just need to create more well-rounded humans yeah, and people that really have a broad way of thinking about the world, especially as we go into this, new genera- this next generation with increasing automation. I think we're going to need to double down on our humanity. Yeah. I'll tell you, it is one of the areas that the enjoyment in life comes from for me, too. So part of the reason that I do this with the Women's Entrepreneurship Symposium is because I get to meet these incredible women yeah. along the way. I get to hear their incredible stories and, and journeys. And that human connection, I think, is is really powerful. And it's where you get to a lot of the, the unexpected benefits, the, oh, hey, I didn't know you knew about that. And there are opportunities that come from some of those serendipitous things that you end up talking about. Absolutely. Those are my favorite people, the, the broad the broad thinkers. You know, I, I love this this image you created of a little girl wanting to go from astronaut to president to history professor. <laughs> Very clearly, it was a, you had lots of uh, green field in front of you, lots yes. of different 
ways of, of, of thinking about what you could do in the world, which is awesome. That's what you would you want for children is um, open pastures. Yeah. Well, and what a time with uh, Kamala Harris as, as oh, a role yeah. model for young girls out there today. Yeah, what an exciting, and we are recording this the day after the inauguration of Biden and Harris. So what an exciting time for the for women leaders in the country. Yes. What are you, what are you thinking about, your, you know, for your own children? What, how would you advise them in terms of their own path, either with entrepreneurship or school? What? You know, honestly, I think that kids have to get in touch with themselves and learn what's important to them and then find the areas in life that uh, bring them joy, that they get passionate about, and that they are energized by putting their work into. We all have to do work in the world. You know, we have to put in the effort. But if you can find the areas where you get some joy out of putting in that effort, that's the key. So I think early in life, really exploring a lot of different places, learning about a lot of different places, hearing stories. I I wish that our educational system had a greater opportunity for students early on to learn more about different career paths and what it's actually like to be in those careers, and then what the building blocks of knowledge are for those careers, because I think it would make some of our textbook subjects more engaging to see how they fit into that bigger picture of more interesting things later on in life. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you in terms of you know apprenticeships and internships. I was very fortunate. My mother uh, was an executive at Motorola. So I had an internship in every semester in college at Motorola, and I ended up getting one internship at Microsoft. And I had so many more, uh, so much more um, work experience and relevant experience when I went into the work world, and I, and I changed my major as a result of going to Motorola. So I'm a huge fan of internships. You get a real chance to learn. Yeah, this fits. This doesn't fit for me. Right. I, I agree. And how I fell into my business career, I worked at Harvard Student Agencies while I was an undergrad. So I ran a student-run travel agency. I was the director of advertising and sales for the Let's Go Travel Guide series, which is a series of you know 30 different travel guides that are entirely researched and written by Harvard students. I you know ran a temporary services agency with movers, and I ran the Harvard bartending course. You know, so I'll of these that sounds fun. We'll have to hear about that. Business experiences along the way that taught me through practical application how you actually run a business. Yeah, I think that's you know the practical application is the key component. I, you know, I was surprised when we started working with the university how there is still a disconnect between practical and theory, especially in things like engineering. I I remember when I was in engineering school, I tried to get them to allow me to take a communications class and it didn't fit in the curricula. And And I understand why, but at the same time, I feel like it's really limiting. And so I'm happy to see that that it does seem like corporate America and the communities are starting to get behind more apprenticeships, more internships, because you just really need that practical education. I, it, the theory is great, but unless you have a way to put it in practice, it's just not. It's not I completely agree with you. I think it's really, really valuable. And it's nice to see. I get a lot of students in my class who are journalism majors or engineering majors or, you know, I, I, they run the gamut across the, the undergrad spectrum. And they're adding entrepreneurship to that skill set, which which gives them a more practical application of of what they already have in their wheelhouse. Yeah, no, I I, I think it's great. When you were writing the travel 
or when you were working on the travel book, did you actually get to travel or did you just get to? So I was one of the people stuck in Cambridge. You know, we had a couple hundred researcher writers who who traveled the globe. And those books are all written in the summertime. So b- between semesters at Harvard, they go and, and travel for 10 weeks independently and update the guides. And I was selling all the advertising placements in those guides and working with some of the publishing. So I would have been out there just traveling, trying to get a free ride to go travel around to different exotic places. But Well, and that that was when I went into international marketing and eBay, then I was traveling the globe. Now, it was tricky because I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home at the same time. So I was, you know, on the 7 a.m. flight from London to Paris to Berlin to Milan to, you know, sort of trying to do seven countries in, in seven days. But I did get to experience some amazing cultures at that time in my life. Absolutely. But that must have been really challenging as a as a young mother, international travel, how did you balance all of that? Well, I was very firm in, you know, I can travel this much. So I would take a couple trips a quarter and they were limited to 10 days. And I think part of the secret is I married really well. So my <laughs> husband is phenomenal. And, you know, it, 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 he and I have taken turns in our career. So he will lean in, start a company. I take more of the burden on the home front. Other times, you know, he leans in more on the home front and, and I get to go off and do these incredible things. So that was a point in my life where he was really supporting me in my career and enabling me to do that. And, um, you know, there were were times where I really, you know, Mother's Day with my one-year-old and hearing the recording of, you know, the animal sounds rather than being there, you know, with my one-year-old daughter, that was really hard. Yeah, Um, I can imagine. But I also, you know, I, I drew the line on some things. I said, no, I'm walking my son to kindergarten on his first day. And I turned down a trip on the corporate jet to go and be part of a, a very, very senior series of meetings in Europe in order to walk my son to kindergarten. Yeah, which is great. I mean, that really speaks to your character and the thing and your values, putting your values first. Do you think that it's, you know, there's pressure to to not do those things as a f- female executive? I mean, do you, did you find that or was it pretty easy for you to just say, this is a clear line for me? Oh, I think there's tremendous pressure. And a lot of it, I think, comes from inside. And yeah. so women who are driven wanting to put their best foot forward and and do everything for their careers. And I just sort of, you know, made, made the decision that, you know, I know I can't be everywhere at once, but this is, you know, the, the most important thing to me is my family. And so whatever else I do, we'll have to work around that. Now, I was very experimental and some things worked and some things didn't. So there was a time period where I was working from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. because it worked better for my hours with Europe and Asia while I was based in the U.S. I could, you know, sandwich both of those time zones. And then I could take my son to soccer practice at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and, you know, he could do his little three-year-old soccer team. So, Which is always fun know, to watch. They just chase, they all just kind of run and chase the ball all over the totally. place. Totally. But it crushed me from a sleep perspective. That yeah. was really kind of unsustainable for me. So I I have in my career tried every different version of part-time and full-time and remote and on-site and, you know, all these different things. And I firmly believed that if I could have bigger and better outcomes in less time, well, I should be promoted even if I'm not working full-time, you know, and and I fought for those things. I was also very fortunate to have some managers who really put outcomes first and not FaceTime and could support me as I was making some of those choices. So, 
That's yeah. excellent. And I, I think that, you know, it does seem like the world is shifting more towards that way of thinking. I think COVID has probably accelerated workplace flexibility. Obviously, we see a lot of remote work. You know, it'll be interesting to see what sticks on the other side of COVID. But I'm hopeful that that creates more flexibility for, I hate to say work-life balance, but more like work-life integration. How do you do those two things? I think about it like work-life integration too. And if nothing else, it's given a lot more visibility to the complexities that everyone has going on between their home life and their work life and a little more understanding for that. So if we can all be compassionate about that and think about, you know, at the end of the day, what's really, really important about what we're doing and and uh, often, I think, you know, letting some of the little time-consuming, unimportant things go is the hardest part of that. I can, yeah. I, I don't have that particular problem. <laughs> I'm not very good at the details. I'm really good at the big picture. But no, I, but I'm, I'm, I take your point. You know, you know, focusing on what's important, really prioritizing those things every day, building, building your world around those things that are most valuable, and then letting the other things go is a, mm -hmm. is a good strategy. Because you just can't do it all. I mean— You can't. Yep. Yep. And I think building life around the things that you derive meaning and value from as well is really, really important. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's I really appreciate your perspective on, you know, we've covered a lot of different topics and I appreciate you sharing your, your personal insights. I'm really excited about uh, the International Women's Symposium. I'm happy to be a, a, a moderator and a contributor and a sponsor. You know, is there anything else you want uh, people to know about the symposium or what's next in your life? Or? Oh, no. Well, I would encourage everyone to to come to the symposium. And, you know, given that it's entirely remote, it's on March 8th, which is International Women's Day. Uh, it's something you can access from your living room and just take a moment of pause to hear some inspiration and build skills. I would encourage everyone to, to check it out. Yeah, me, me as well. Thank you so much for your commitment to our community and for, you know, helping advance female entrepreneurship around the globe. Thanks, well, And thank you for all your support as well. Sounds great, Mary. Take care. Mm -hmm.